Good morning. You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast. Your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm John, and we're really excited this week to drink some beers from a local bottle shop that uh, we were able to pick these things up. They're brand new, available in our home state here. And I'll be the first to admit I am always excited to try a new beer and even more excited when it's one that none of my friends have checked into yet. Uh, So we're really pumped about the beers this week and other things. Yes, and I'm Harrison, and I'm feeling a little funky this week. It could have been the P-Funk I was jamming out to in the car this morning, but there's also something in the air that smells a little barn-like. What do barns and awesome funk music have in common? Maybe not much, but there are more than one kind of funk out there. So we're going to get to more of that in a minute. But first, Drinking Socially is released every other Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untap.com or wherever you listen to podcasts most often, Mm -hmm. iTunes. Sure, wherever. Um, For beer this week, we're going to jump right into it, and I'm going to admit that I poured these ahead of time because Mm -hmm. this was a traditional bottle with a cork inside of it. That's right. There was some Uh, labor involved. We we did the manual labor ahead, Uh, so we've got a beautiful beer sitting in this untapped glassware. Uh, We're going to begin this week with Black Project's Tag Board Blend. Right. Uh, this is a 2018 yeah. blend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know that Harrison is well researched on this particular beer and even was doing some research into the method. Uh, this is an exciting, it's as much of a science project as it mm-hmm. is a beer. Yeah. Uh, those of you that are savvy enough to pull it up on Untapped yourself. Um, it's the first time I've seen Black Project available outside of Denver. Um, and I've seen it now available at a couple of places in North Carolina. Yeah. Salud, you've heard us talk about them before if you're in Charlotte. Uh, I've seen it in New York City, uh, getting some check-in tags, mm-hmm. likely uh, on a couple of verified venue uh, locations. These guys yep. are uh, pretty good at what they do um, based on what I've seen, uh, not just in untapped reviews, but uh, just, I mean, in write-ups, uh, Black Project is, is one of those, uh, you know, they're kind of becoming uh, maybe not Russian River, but, you know, they're starting to build sure. that sort of lore for themselves. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, coming right from their website, just if you guys have never had Black Project before, um, they, it says every Black Project beer is fermented with microbes captured from the local environment via a cool ship. Or foraged from nature, and they're in Denver. There, uh, so they're located. Uh, we believe this creates a beer that is unrivaled in complexity. Our beers are intended to have a sense of place or terroir. Which we can talk about. Uh, no matter how hard one tried to, our beer cannot be replicated outside of our brewery. In fact, our microbe cultures are purposefully allowed to evolve from batch to batch, creating variations and interesting twists from different releases of the same beer. So this is. Yeah, really cool and gets into some super old school brewing techniques, which we'll go through today that were really kind of uh, founded in Belgium, which uh, is one of the most unique places in the world that beer has ever been made. And a lot of that has to do with the yeast that's there and why that yeast is there. And we can kind of talk about that as we go through this this beer. But this beer is classified as an American Wild Ale. It's got like five and a half ABV. 
25 IBUs um, and kind of dive it into the actual beer itself. Uh, their official description is a blend of Lambic-inspired cool ship spontaneous beer, brewed in accordance with the method traditionnel, which we'll talk about. Uh, guidelines age for one, two, and three years in neutral oak, then combined with freshly picked Neo-Mexican sweat hops, uh, which is cool from Voss Farms in Arvada, Colorado. And they further age the beer for two weeks on more than 20 pounds of hops in each uh, 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 freshly emptied red wine oak barrel. These guys are um, living in, and it says it's a slightly sour and funky base beer, mellows of sweet pine, melon, and berry characters from the hops. And the mild, wild microbes like ours are known to be able to kind of biotransform the hop aroma compounds and flavor compounds and goes on to describe how cool and, and unique it is which which let's let's just drink this thing cheers i've been <laughs> i've been i've been waiting harrison yeah, right. just dropped more information on me than a pile of books let's get into this thing mm. Ooh. <laughs> that is wow. so tart wow it keeps going it does, it really um, does. it's a sweet tart it's different um than oh, a sweet tart it's not it's a beer I mean, it finishes that like kind of barnyardy, funky hay thing, man. Oh wow! Yep, there's a. Uh, mm. I've never, mm. I've never even attempted to brew anything on this scale in my garage. Most of the time, they're just sad failures. But this, uh, I don't know how you would produce. <laughs> One thing I one thing I want to ask about I've, I've yeah. seen this cool ship and it, yes. aside from being just like a really cool flying machine where you can have your friends <laughs> is that it, like is it just like a, a fancy wort cooler what's so special about this mm-hmm. uh, cool ship that I, I see referenced on usually just an expensive beer right so traditionally um, again cool ships were used in Belgium and more specifically Brussels we should get specific with this so. These kind of Lambic-inspired beers or a traditional Lambic has to be made within 15 kilometers, I think, of Brussels um, in the Pajetaland Valley or the Seine River like a Valley. thing? So, right, yeah, it's super specific to that area. And I think there are, as of today, only like 12 breweries in that area that are making um, actual Lambic beer. But, yes, yeah, like Champ... Yeah, good comparison is like champagne. Lambics can only be made there. You can have lambic style beers or lambic inspired, as uh, they're mentioning in this uh, description. But to be an actual lambic, you have to be in Brussels and in the Seine River Valley. And the Seine River goes through Brussels and uh, obviously is surrounded by a valley. And that's a big reason why the traditional lambics are really sought after and really unique and that like those yeasts that are there in that valley basically the story is that they've been trapped there forever and are kind of mutating with themselves and unique to that part of the world because they have never left or haven't left in thousands of years and so when you're making beer with them you can't you know if you just like these guys have done opened up uh, you know your windows in denver and made a beer and let the yeast there that's just in the air jump into your cool ship which is what has happened here even if you have like the same exact ingredients um, as a beer, the same beer brewed in Brussels, they just taste like different. Same if it was like in New York City or, you know, in Melbourne or anywhere. That's the point of all this stuff. And what uh, that Black Project talks about, the terroir, just like, you know, grapes. So you have a Pinot Noir from Argentina and California and Spain, and they're all different tasting, you know, the grape 
is the same because the ground is different. The you know, soil, the the moisture that year, the moisture all the time based on where they are. So there's all the kinds of components that go into making that grape what it is, where the beer, it's all about that wild yeast that exists just in the air. And there are, like there have been, I think, upwards of like 120 or something different kinds of yeast that have been um, and wild when wild and not just yeast, also just bacteria, just bugs. Not all of this stuff is is actually yeast. And some of it's just bacteria that uh, like Lactobacillus. That's the most common kind of, I guess, that is t- kind of a wild yeast that's in the world. That's what makes kind of a lot of cheese is cheese. But um, in in these lambics in uh, in and around Brussels, so. Um, there's, they're all over the place. They're always different. There are some common ones and like a lot of, but this is not like the, the Saccharomyces, the Cerevisiae, which is the one that most ale yeast is made out of. These are all the other, you know, Pretendomyces is in here probably, and it tastes like it, uh, Lactobacillus, all kinds of stuff. But there are, um, yeah, so, and I don't know if Black Project, they probably don't, they may not publicly say like what they are getting in their beers. They probably know. They're probably doing cultures of it and looking at it under microscopes and identifying the stuff they have. But like they said, it's it could be different each beer to beer, different different times a year. That's a really cool thing. So the cool ship to your answer your question is how you cool this down. Yeah, exactly right. After you brew it, you send it in basically like a pool. And uh, for this style of beer, the windows should be open to the outside world. So the yeast gets in there and it cools naturally. The reason you put it in a pool is there's more surface area than if it was like in a smaller container. So it can cool through ambient, the ambient air temperature faster than if it was in like a vat or a closed fermenter or something. And then traditionally, we just left to cool overnight and then racked into barrels the next day and the fermentation began with all those bugs that landed in the cool ship uh, that evening. So it would take sit there for like 12 hours or so and then get put in some barrels. And those barrels usually have bugs in it too, and they do more stuff. And, yeah, it's all changing, all evolving. And um, But, again, a big reason why Belgian beers are so softer and so unique and they're considered a world, you know, heritage site and all this cool stuff because they're just extremely unique to that part of the world and a big reason for that is the valley that all the are basically just trapped in only escaping now in beer bottles as they're shipped all over the, the world but um <laughs> but uh but yeah so right it's like a it's like the great escape it's a long long great escape movie um but anyway this one's cool so this is like denver the wild yeah microbes of denver we're tasting right now which also obviously are actually a pretty big mountain range so I imagine if he was brewing, you know, on one side of the mountain or the other, the same beer also tastes different. But I've heard of breweries like capturing a lot of that's a thing now is to go forage for stuff. So you go find like some wild blueberries and you scrape the wild yeast that's on them off and you culture that and put it in a beer. And some of it tastes good garbage. A lot of it tastes really good. Um, But yeah, you're going to do that at a certain time of year when it's actually cold enough outside to have this be effective. They say like, it's looked down upon the term is like summer beers or summer taste is what they like the traditional lambic brewers would say if you made one too early in the year because it'll still cool down but i guess that when it's that warm out at night still produces like even more actually of the tart flavor we're getting that comes from it being not as cool so not cooling down as quickly or one of the ways you can get it if you're doing just spontaneous fermentation but it's really cool, and they, Black Project's re- website's really nice, and they, like they talk about this stuff, and they're very open about how it's just a big experiment. And obviously, they you know they have 
by now figured out like, you know, what works and what doesn't. And I'm sure I have a nice standard operating procedure. But at the end of the day, it does come down to what the yeast want to do. And if they're happy or not, if we actually make that beer for you or if it's going to be funkier in a non-enjoyable way. But this is great. And it's just like, woo, super tart. I, I'm I'm loving all this. I feel like I just got a little bit more educated on and one one of the if I can distill some of that into information that I want to hold on to just for me personally, it, like uh, Black Project uh, produced this particular beer, and even if I had every ingredient and the same equipment and the same method, even if I brewed this beer myself with Harrison's help um, <laughs> on the roof at Untapped, and we opened up our cool ship, which is uh, just so much fun to say, um, we'd end up with a product that, that could be tasted differently, uh, which, is, which is in fact, and that's where the Lambic um, kind of decree is coming from. We're saying that like Cantillon, one of those breweries right. that yes. everybody knows and loves, they're within that region where yep. they can officially produce a Absolutely. Lambic. Um, yeah. And, and, and Three Fontan and some of the others that yep. have this lore about them. Yep. Uh, some of that is uh, because they're within the region of these wonderful flying mm-hmm. bugs and yeast. Yep. Yeah, there was a yeah, yeah, there was a royal decree in 1965 by the Belgian government that said among other things that in order to have a lambic called a lambic it must be a minimum 30% unmalted wheat, use aged hops, employ spontaneous fermentation and be brewed within 50 kilometers of Brussels in the Seine River Valley. So it kind of covers some of that stuff. But again, so these guys, the Black Project's not claiming to be like a Lambic brewery. They're doing their own thing. They do are inspired by a lot of it. But one of the cool things they've done differently here is they're in this beer, as far as I can tell from the descriptions, they're not using aged hops. They said wet hops, like freshly picked Neo-Mexicanus hops, which is going to obviously give it totally different flavor profile than aged hops, which really are only being put in Lambics to impart like no bitterness or flavor, but used as a preservative property. So they're not uh, going bad on them. Um, but they're, you know, cool, really, really cool stories. I was reading one about like the Lambic cellars. It's probably the same today where obviously I will this fruited, this beer, sometimes they can fruit it, sometimes they're not. This one has no fruit in it. They're drinking tonight this, uh, this wild ale, but back to Lambic traditional, they, you know, when they're fermenting a beer, it's, you know, obviously lets off a lot of gas, which is just CO2, but that can carry all like the sweeter aromas of the fermentation out and attract fruit flies. So if you go in like a real lambic cellar, it's going to be covered in spider webs because the brewers would put spiders down there to kill all the flies. They wouldn't get in the beer. So you walk down there, and if you just don't go down there, be like, hey man, you got somebody clear this web out of the way. <laughs> like you're, it's be like, yeah, walking into a brewery and kicking the brewery cat out of the door. Like it's there for a reason to kind of clean up the uh, pests and everything. But it, that's a really cool, you know, but that's, you know, you're inoculating this beer with bugs and you're also putting spiders in the basin to from other bug, actual bugs. There's all kinds of collaborations happening here that uh, really is, at the end of the day, like as you learn more and more about it, the brewer and the blender and the person who made the beer has like less and less importance to do with it as long as you follow your five steps good spiders <laughs> right if you have good mouse spiders. keeps bu- <laughs> mouse keeps things away from your grain spiders keep things away right. from your right in the, in the story that you're painting for me it's like it reminds me of my italian grandmother 
and um, <laughs> it's just it seems like one of the most natural. And of course, we know not you know not every you can't get a pale ale on the shelf in every state and right. follow this formula, right? Um, which is, I think, in, in this regard, just a testament to the craft that's going into a beer like right. this. Sure, which I I feel I feel bad in that i haven't even really addressed how amazing this particular beer is tasting it's, yeah we're letting it open um, up and it's just rocking right now and i won't i won't even i won't have the words or the palate to give you a right experience on what this beer tastes like to me but as, as it's sitting in 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 the glass i i know uh i've seen harrison take a couple of sips and it's incredible this is the drawback of a podcast is that you can't see harrison's face <laughs> <laughs> as he takes wow another factor. sip of this um but even i mean the olfactory when you smell this beer whether you're a beer judge or it's the first beer you've ever had this just the smell right is going to do something to you when that opens up whether it's in a plastic cup or the perfect glass mm-hmm. i know just ah oh. It is. It does have that like horsey barnyard smell a little bit. It's not overpowering. The nose is really subtle, and I get a lot. Of, it's basically like biting into a ripe lemon, like hard, like really. Because it was so that first sip was so tart, pucker. Yeah, it was like I was pucker, and it kept going, which is great. Like woke me right up, and then you get a little bit of like I get a little bit of like the melon, just like slight little melon note, and that's the hops that you know, they've added that are kind of dancing around with these this. Uh, micro blend we got going on here man oh man there's definitely yeah actually i'm getting a lot more melony like stone fruit stuff now but it always it has at least a note of the of like just lemon peel lemon rind face of a lemon like a lemon what are those lemon drop candy lemon drop candy and lemon like that nope not lemon balm like lemon <laughs> nope that's going the other direction um my italian grandma's still in there uh, <laughs> this this beer in an effort to try and um i think harris and i would both easily admit that we love food and beer oh, yeah. um, i think everyone Definitely has to love food beer is an option but uh, this I think this beer would lend itself incredibly well to. For me, I jump to you know your typical fruit. Uh, give me a, like a stone fruit. I'd love to have a bite of peach or plums. Now I don't want to go right to lemon with this, but I think yeah. fruit would would really help balance the the tart pucker that this is giving me kind of cleanse my palate and let me go back to some like fresh off the vine fruit uh i'd also be happy to see some incredibly stinky blue that's what i was gonna say to go right right to with this or even just a brie like a triple cream brie that's like really smooth to just kind of like cut this up a little bit because it is but that's a big so like they're doing a great job of like not because you can like off flavors with wild as are like, you know, it tastes like vinegar or it's like really acidic. Like it almost hurts to drink things like that. Like can happen. None of that is happening here. It like runs right up to the line. That first sip was like, Whoa, but it went, it's like, it was very enjoyable. There was nothing about it. That was like astringent at all. It was just like, Whoo, this is going to take me for a trip. You yeah. know, it's just, it's just mellowing out of this like little punch bowl thing that still has, I want to know. I want to get in their lab and see what they're see what these things are. 
they're catching out there. But um, and yeah, yeah. But this is a definitely like throwback to like what a lot of beer used to take like taste like forever before there were like laboratory conditions and things were quality controlled and you get you get wild beer and you know a pint of British bitter they probably throw it out but like maybe not notice right away for a couple of days <laughs> maybe there wasn't right. a market for it <laughs> right. now now it's cost a dollar extra right. for a pint if you right. do it right exactly I think this would qualify for for i would put this right into the sour beer category of of, of simplifying it right it's, it's got a funk to it mm-hmm. um it's what is this three years to get yes here? so that's a cool thing too so we'll talk about that and that's very common to like when you do a blend of beers to have it be a one year two year three year blend and there's actually a specific so the method uh, traditional which we mentioned about um, that is kind of what it's built upon that royal decree from 1965 and is more modernized, I guess. There were some issues in the past of certain breweries claiming they were brewing lambic beers and they technically weren't. And the kind of discussion opened up of what what should be, can, what you need to have happen to be considered a lambic. And there are, so this organization that um, I think they just call themselves Method Traditionnel, or that's what they're known as. You can go to methodtraditionnel.org, and we'll have that. We'll in link the it show in the notes. notes. Yeah. Yep, yeah, it'll be we'll easier. But um, they have two kind of standards, and one of them is just the, the Method Traditionnel, and the other one is Method Traditionnel Three Year, which kind of talks about this, where it's a what that means to blend, and that's kind of, that's what a, a, a goza was or is is supposed to be a blend of more than one lambic. And so, like, that's where, like, the blenders come in. We're like, and this is, I am not, I was never, the brewery I worked at did not, we did not, well, actually, sorry, we did blend beers. We had a really big barrel program. And I assisted the barrel master for a while, which just means we would walk around to the barrels, take samples out of it, and see when they were ready. And that's basically, which sounds just like you're drinking on the job, which the job is drinking, so that's that is what happened a lot of the you time. You have to be good at this, and, right? right? It was yeah. basically like every Wednesday, him and I would go into the cellar and be like, "All right, we think these twelve may be ready. Let's pull some samples, bring them out, let's taste them, talk about it. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't." And so a blender would do that. Would go to different wine barrels that are full of beer now and pull a little bit out and be like, "All right, this one tastes ready. This one's too young still. This one's still got some of that summer taste or whatever it is." And um, and maybe we need 80% from this barrel and 20% from this one and 50% from this one. And then you blend that all together and you have a beer, but that is like a, an art form of itself. And so th- a lot of that, th- this is a blend this is a blend of three different, different beers, um, that I believe they blended and then aged on the hops, if I remember correctly. But, uh, but yeah, so that's another, even like a, like the next level of this method traditional is talking about how to handle three year blends and, the difference between that and just doing the method de Chanel and stuff. So it's a really cool website, but it's, um, but again, it's, uh, yeah, traditionally in, if you're in Belgium, if you're in Brussels and around Brussels in the center of Valley, a blend like this is a goose, but, uh, we're not there. So wouldn't be considered that in the method de Chanel, the three year one, it says the blend of, it has to be a blend of unfruited beers uh, and may contain up to sixty percent of the one-year-old beer, and has to contain at least ten percent of the one-year, two-year, and three-year-old beers. Um, and they talk about how the years are are actually based on the summer. So they would say it's like you know this one is one summer old, or two summers old, or three summers old, and that's equal to one, two, or three years. 
um, that the actual average age of the final blend has to be at least 18 months old. So uh, again, it's it's kind of up to the blender beyond that, like which ones taste like they go well together. But that's what you're doing is blending a bunch of beer. And then um, in this case, you wouldn't, you would, yeah, condition it warm and bottle condition this thing. Um, you're not like forced carbonating this at all. You're putting in some priming sugar in the bottle or some fresh wort or something and and letting it sit for, I think they say at least four months too, which is also a requirement. There are lots of requirements. If you're familiar with like the German purity laws, it's very straightforward. This is like multiple parts and sections. There's a lot to go through. Check it out if you want. We're not going to run through the whole thing today. But again, Black Project is not claiming to be a, you know, uh, Alembic or making gooses, but they are inspired by it. It's hard not to be. And this is a three-year blend um, that they have mixed up themselves. So that means they went to the cellar and put around some beers and made a really cool uh, sampling of it. And we we would do that too. We also had fooders that we would fill with like base table sour beers and blend barrel stuff that was in barrels into our like house sour beer, house wild ale, which was awesome to do. And I did a, a fair amount of that towards the end. It's a lot of work. Like working with barrels is a pain in the behind and Filling bottles, gravity filling bottles is really annoying. And then you got to sit and wait. You know, you make like a lot of times you keg, you keg a beer, you can a beer, you pull off the line, you drink it. And you're like, it's that instant satisfaction. This is like, we're going to put it in this bottle. And we're going to put it in this room and you got to forget about it for two months. And then you're like, ah, all right. And then you're going to label it. I'm out of beer. Not that that's a huge issue. We don't have to address <laughs> that publicly. <laughs> this went down really mm. well. 5.5% had more flavor than it deserved. But one wow. thing that that last bit uh, that you were sharing with us, Harrison, um, as a brewer, as a, as a, 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 I guess as a guy that used to brew often, I'm going to defer to you on this. And I don't, ex- there isn't a right or wrong answer, but. Uh, if I was looking to open a brewery tomorrow, mm. I love this beer. I love sure. the I love the history, the JR and the the token that comes with right, this beer. Right, right. Um, yeah. What would what would be your mo? Is this something that has to be passion driven? Is there a better profit margin mm. on pouring three years mm. into a bottle and <laughs> and do, doing so much extra work that right. comes into it? Is it a difference of local raise? Uh, Pork chops versus right. Costco. Store bought, right? Uh, yeah, right. Uh, sorry, Costco. What's the <laughs> what? What would what would compel you to say this is the type of brewery that I'm going to right. open versus yeah. you yep. know an easy to attain and just cranking out some some great pale ales? You yeah. know, what's the right. difference there? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a labor of love, and it's not. Yeah, like like we're kind of if you're reading between the lines or just listening, like clearly this stuff take this kind of beer takes a long time, three year blend and you got to sit on it for months after you blend it. And you got to, there's lots of transferring from different barrels and fermenters and lots of places, things can go wrong. And yeah, it's a lot of work for, uh, I mean, if your margins are right, you're doing okay. But yes, like you, the profits gonna be much better on a pint of, I pay even if it's like double or triple dry hop just because the amount of time it takes you're investing in just waiting on uh, in the space it takes to have a bunch of barrels. So, I mean, this is your, I mean, unless you're, I would not want to be, this be my first brewery, <laughs> be a, a spontaneously <laughs> fermented wild ale brewery. Because also, I mean, yeah, like, you know, so much you go wrong and yeah, the return is not going to be, you know, you open a brewery and then three years later get to pour your first beer. <laughs> so it's definitely, yeah, 
It's it's that's uh, a business plan right. I can get behind. It's, it's so right when logistically you have might have a tough time finding someone to back that. But what a lot of breweries do is have this as part of their you know they have plenty of core beers and beers that are green or, or clear um, like fresh beers, non uh, like yeah inoculated beers that uh, you know like IPAs and pale ales and stouts and lagers and stuff. And then every once in a while they release a cool bottle of, of beer that is you know, something like this. And that's, that's, that's what we did at Chimney Creek is we obviously had tons of uh, other styles, but had a whole section of the brewery that had three fooders in it. And I think about 400 barrels of uh, either spirits or wine. And uh, that was full of beer all the time. So, and we released something like every month, I believe to our bottle club. Um, but yeah, but it's, it takes the most work. It's super frustrating Lots of things can go wrong. Lots of points in making this beer where something could happen, and then also you have to kind of wait. There's a great story that's that's known in the Philly beer world. I won't name the brewery, but it's a Pennsylvania brewery where basically he made. I think it was just like a Brett Brett beer. It wasn't even that too crazy. He you know he made a, made a wild ale, bottled it, sat on it, opened up a bottle of it like a year, six months later, didn't like it, waited a year and a half. Opened up again, didn't like it, thought it was gross. Waited another year, opened a bottle of it, kind of tasted okay. Waited another six months, opened up another bottle of it. And he was like, oh, this tastes awesome. It's been like three years since he made the beer. And he's like, I love this. He submitted it to the Great American Beer Festival and he won gold for American Wild Ale. And it tasted, he was like, it tastes like garbage the first time I had it. And it turned into this amazing, magical thing. So I just didn't do anything. I just let it alone. Again, that's not a business plan that you could sell to any bank <laughs> about like I something may work out well. But again, the re- the rewards are great, but this is um yes, it's very time uh very involved. You're, just, yeah, you're not going to be able to make a beer in 16 days like you could for an IPA. This is going to take you a while. But again, if that's what you want to do, don't let me stop you. Go do it and go. Please, the beer tastes go, really good. Right, go show up at some brewery that's doing this and knock on the door and shovel their grain and clean their tanks and listen to what they got to say and do that for a bit and then go do it. Black Project located in Denver, Colorado. I don't know if they're accepting shovel right. positions right now, but... Uh, again, this this beer we've been drinking and, and honestly waxing poetic about the method as well. Uh, Tagboard from Black oh, yeah. Project, mm-hmm. named after I guess Black Project. Uh, uh, I guess it makes you think of Call of Duty and sure. secret government ops, and exactly. And this tagboard is actually pulled from uh, recently declassified information. Uh, was a code name given to, I'm paraphrasing here, but a project code name uh, that involved uh, recon drones taking photographs deep inside enemy territory. Yep. Um, which, you know, I mean, I don't know if this beer relates to <laughs> enemy territory photographs, but honestly, I think it's really cool to have, uh, they put so much time into the beer and then into the story behind it as well. Um, tag board hasn't been checked in 400 times. This is the yeah. 2018 uh, release. They did one for 2017. This variant hasn't been checked in 400 times yet, but Black Project doing pretty well. They get a little over a thousand check-ins month over month um, with some recent activity on their feed from uh, six minutes ago at the time we're putting this together. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Patrick checked into Microdot from Black Project saying that this is my last check-in from an awesome experience at Black Project, a must-check-out if you ever visit Denver. Um, Patrick was definitely checking into a few different beers from Black Project. Um, or you got Bob, who was drinking it out of a bottle in Greenville, North Carolina, <laughs> and, and, and phrases it maybe perfectly just with one word, delicious, exclamation point. Boom. Uh, so cheers to both of you guys. Keep checking in your beers, sharing with us your thoughts and opinions, or, and hopefully your friends on Untapped as well. Yeah, absolutely. This is great. Very cool. another beer surprise surprise so this next one is from american solera out of tulsa oklahoma it is their endicott estate blend uh this is a farmhouse ale six percent aged on local blueberries so we're gonna switch it up a bit put some fruit in this Ooh, pour is a nice kind of what is that like a pinkish purple kind of I'm gonna I'm gonna give you, you that, that, Harrison. Yeah, that is a it's a pinkish purple. Sure. That's gotta be a Crayola color. Right, or something like that. It's very nice and cloudy looking and but not hate. Just kinda, you know. As well, most of these beers are. You're not filtering this, obviously, ever. Much different coloration on yeah. this one. Yeah, um I mean, pink looks like a rose. Smells fruity. It's Still got a little bit of funk to nice it. Nice carbonation too, but in the, yeah. Man, our pal. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's good. Oh, wow. That's. Oh, we got a different thing going on yep, here. Yep, Woo! Yep. The fruits in the building. Look out. 6% ABV. Mm-hmm. Farmhouse ale aged in oak barrels. We already mm. covered that. You know what? That's really good. There's a different. Ooh. Tons of blueberry right at the end, like a fresh tartar blueberry, where you kind of. It's not. Oh, it's not. Tart is not the leading descriptor I would use in this one. There's, I can't put the words. Let me have another sip. This one, <laughs> as soon as I, obviously I'm drinking it pretty much right out of the bottle here. It hasn't sure. sat for very long, sure. but as soon as it hits my mouth, it's like it's, it's the carbonation increases, right? And it almost foams a little bit extra as I get a taste of it. Initially, I, I, uh, it goes from funk Right. To, I get, you know, there's the farmhouse base of this beer, Mm -hmm. which you can find in there. But almost as soon as you swallow, as soon as it leaves your mouth is when Mm -hmm. I'm met with, maybe just like in my taste, I'm not accusing any kind of providing bad blueberries, but uh, as it leaves my mouth, I'm met with a blueberry that I picked maybe two days too early and just decided to eat anyways. Like that almost a little bit green in the berry. yeah. It's almost like a great, like a red grape flavor from it too, like all those darker fruits. It's definitely like the in the front. It's like this. It's like a. Mm. So, uh, just some background. Not nearly as much on this one, but American Solera. Um, they're about a two-year-old brewery out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, lots of check-ins for them. Uh, they've just, in my experience, recently been available in North Carolina where I bought this bottle. Yeah. You'll find them oh, there yeah. in Denver as well. The Whale, again, the Whale has the these whale guys and, on and their Asheville. shelf as well. Yeah. 
They're killing it. Um, but this particular beer, the Endicott Estate Blend, I believe this is the second year they've done this. Somebody closer to Tulsa can probably correct me on here, but the Endicott Estate for American Solera is just a local blueberry farm, yeah, uh, which go. is going to explain the uh, additions in this beer. Uh, it's listed as having local blackberries and blueberries, and Endicott Farm actually just closed Ooh. their blueberry season sure. a couple of weeks ago. But this is I think this is really cool to see. Again, it's a brewery we're working with, a local farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got the blueberries from there. Sure. I say we just because this is a really good beer, and mm-hmm. I want to be included. Right. But um, this, this beer reads so different than the last one we had. Sure. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, and <clears throat> I was going to say is fruit and a beer. And this is again, so many things we could talk about in a whole podcast, but from the description, the, the blackberries and blueberries are in the barrels, which is great. And that's where we're getting a lot of the flavor from, but you can put them in fermenters. You can brew with them. Like actually put them in the boil for this one though, as it's written, it sounds like they just made a farmhouse ale and then uh, that was their base beer and then put it on top of the blackberries and blueberries which is probably why there's so much color in it. It wasn't like boiled off in the boil or anything like that. And um, or the flavor is so profound, you know, it's like added towards the end of, or as late as you could, but yeah. unless you put it in the bottle, you know, late as you could is put in the, put in the barrels, which is great. I wanted to ask about that from a, uh, can I say layman's perspective? Um, so, Dry hopping, we've talked about a lot with IPAs. Is this sort of the equivalent of dry burying? Mm, well, um, be for, wet, I mean, probably totally wet, different yeah. end result. But sure, we would do. I remember I spent a whole day pa- packing. I think it was sixty pounds of peaches per barrel for probably like twenty or thirty barrels for a beer we were making that was going to go almost right into them after we for like ferment actually in the barrels, which we usually would do primary fermentation in a stainless steel fermenter and then secondary like this age stuff in barrels. It just weighs your manage. You don't want to be shooting like 212 degree wort into a wooden barrel. It may not, it may not take that very well. <laughs> Depending so, on how you're right. <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, but yeah, so yeah. And yep, you just, yeah, you just put it in there. And again, it's at this point, you know, we used the word a couple of times tonight and talked about it a bit. This, you know, this is beer is called any kind of state blend, blenders, blendery. It's like that's another subsection part of the beer world where you're not a brewer, you're a blender. So the beer has been made and it's sitting in a barrel. And now it's your job to decide, first of all, how much to fruit to put in that barrel if you're going to fruit it. And then as it, sits on there is it good after six months after 12 months is it good after that's the eight tasting months? part right you do you just go in there and you taste it and the way you do that it's traditionally is you just you fill the you know the barrel up and you put a bung on the top of it so that it kind of allows some co2 to escape if putting that beer on the berries does some secondary fermentation which it probably will It'll probably kick up some of that yeast and the new sugar of the fruit being added to it and re-ferment a bit in the barrel which is what you want to happen and then, so you put a bung in there to let that stuff escape, but not let anything enter the barrel. There's kind of one way, uh, like breathers that you put on the top of these things, little plastic bungs that only let uh, CO2 out, but nothing in. And then you basically, you, not basically, you take a nail and you hammer it into the front of the barrel as it's sitting on the rack um, into the actual uh, barrel itself until 
into the beer and you let that sit there and you just pull the nail out with the, you know, a pair of pliers or whatever. And the beer kind of shoots out a little stream. We catch it in a cup and then you shoot it with sanitizer and you hammer it back in. And so you do that. And we're talking like samples and like, you know, an ounce or two of it. Like we're not pulling much out of a, you know, sometimes probably a hundred plus gallon, you know, barrel. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's what you're doing, but that's how, and that's how we taste it. We go through there and kind of pull stuff off and taste a little bit. And so that's the barrel master or the, you know, blenders or jobs to go through in there and see, all right, this stuff's great, but it's hard to how much you put in. And that's really like to taste and you know, that trial and error or what other places have done. But that's why a lot of places say like, you know, aged on 20 pounds of hops or 40 pounds of blueberries or two pounds per barrel or all that stuff because they've measured it out and seen what works and what, what doesn't um but yeah that's how you do it just pop it in there and put the beer on it it's usually sanitize the well you can sanitize so we never you could sanitize the berries with like uh oh man potassium metabisulfite which is what they use in wineries to sanitize the grapes so it's like a food grade sanitizer that you dust all the grapes with and it kills all the bugs on top of the grapes and then Put it in your wine. But most breweries don't do that. They're kind of like, hey, especially if you're kind of cultivating our local blackberries, let that let those bugs live. True. Keep it going. Jump the beer on there and see what they do inside that barrel. So you don't really need to sanitize it. And you would hope that, especially if it's already fermented a bit, it'll out, whatever. The good stuff will outcompete the bad stuff. But again, it is a experiment. And that is, again, why you're tasting it. And there are other signs you can look for in these beers on the top of the barrel that, uh, to you know if it's doing well or not, but a lot of these beers will protect themselves by creating what's called a oh man, I'm gonna say this wrong, a pellicle, I think, or something like that. Anyway, it's basically like a, a force field on top of the beer that looks gross when you look at it. Kind of looks like a crepe across the entire thing. It looks like a film that you think when looking at it might mean the beer has gone bad, but it's actually pellicle, 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 pellicle. Pel- anyway, I wish I was, I wish yeah. I was good enough it doesn't to help out with that, but well, grapes I'm are sure, delicious. Yeah, I'm sure. Good John. I'm sure someone <laughs> will correct me or whatever, but it was, um, uh, maybe I'm saying it right. But, uh, but yeah, so there's these beers kind of, again, it's like you're revealing more and more behind the curtain that the brewer's job is to really just get it to the yeast or get it to the barrel. And then, Make sure that everything's happy and the temperature's right and all that stuff because the bugs are going to do what they're going to do, and that's what gives you the end product, really. So go ahead and Google image search beer pellicle. Careful. It (laughs) It looks weird. Pellicle is (laughs) is described as a gooey, slimy, bubbly, fuzzy layer of nastiness that may appear on the surface of beers fermented with Brett, Lacto, PDO, Caucus. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a type of biofilm in which a colony of microbes huddle together and float like a raft on the surface of certain kinds of beer. Right. That's the beginning of a children's story, really. Yeah, sure. James and the Giant Pedicle. I I can't believe that someone's going to – once every week, John, we create some great thing. That's it. Lastly, it was pop-up buffets for something, some buffet, the buffet (laughs) market, which is in need of a renaissance. Buffets have gone by the wayside, much to my chagrin. But uh, but now this week, children's books. Just reach out to us or our publicists <laughs> for the rights to that. James the Giant Pellicle, 
Uh, there's something to be a peach beer. I, I really want to like the one one thing I'm learning and speaking sure. with you about. I love to drink uh, sour, wild, fermented beers. The flavors that come from them, I think, are amazing. From a culinary background, hearing your story about the peaches and chopping them and throwing them in a wooden barrel, yeah. preferably with a knife I found in the woods. Sure, that's just that's so against <laughs> the rules, right? Uh, from my background, where you'd sanitize the peeler almost in between each sure. peach sometimes. Yep. That's I think that's I think that's uh it's exciting uh that that arts like that can exist in the world. Sure. Yeah, it is. But it, yeah, and again it's you have to but again that's the risk you take there is it may just be not good or it may not re-ferment. It may just sit there in the barrels, you may have to dump it because it just didn't do anything. It just didn't just wasn't happy. So and there's all kinds of like oh my gosh, I go on this for days, lore about like so obviously you have barrels and they're stacked on racks in a brewery and They'll have some barrel guys be like, you know, that barrel that's in the corner that the skylight hits the light on it, that one's always horrible or that one's always the best or the one in the bottom right nearest the heater is always going to be a little more funky than all the other ones. Like there's all this kind of, you know, superstition that can go along with it too where even the placement of the barrel in the, in the cellar, um, maybe there's a sweet spot there. The ghosts of right. James and the Giant Pellicle, <laughs> right? Wandering about, exactly giving, giving, and taking, giving. playing a little bit of uh, George Clinton next to the better barrels. <laughs> exactly, that's what we do. We played actually a lot of heavy metal. It was a lot of heavy metal. It was mostly I think that's, heavy uh, metal. How many of you guys and girls <laughs> listening to this podcast are brewers? Uh, I know we always ask for uh, feedback on the Facebook group. Um, one, one. One thing I'd like to propose is is let us know what what music is your sure. beer listening to. Yeah. I know there's a couple breweries that will actually label it on the can. There's right. uh, one in Cary, North Carolina, that I was uh, uh, privileged enough to uh, drop in. Mm-hmm. Uh, every beer is brewed with Wu Tang. Oh, um, which yep, sure, Wu Tang right. is going to be a great start. I heard about this? There, I think there's. I think I think there's a brewery in West Philly that did that too for just one beer, and they had one of the members of. Wu-Tang helped make it, and they just blasted it during the entire fermentation process. So Wu-Tang making beers all over the place. They don't I know even, for, sometimes they don't even know it other than the Spotify listen download. I knew I was I was on the brew team on Halloween once, and they played Monster Mash as I was mashing in, which is cute and funny. And then someone just played it every time I mashed in for like the next week and a half, and I was like, this joke needs to end. I kind of feel like that should happen all the time. <laughs> It's not usually you're listening. I would request like Iron Maiden or something if because a lot of times I get it like six in the morning and be like mashing in right away. Which is, we did not have any uh, our brew house was 30 years old when we got it. Um, so there's no fancy, a lot of these breweries have like rakes and stuff now in them where you press a button and it spins the sure. mash around for you and you sit there painting your toenails or whatever. We did not have that luxury. We were, we had a huge wooden mash paddle that we'd have to, we just manually mash everything. We just stir up the, the mash and all the grain and water and stuff. And, um, I remember we made a quad, uh, which turned out to be like 11% beer, Belgian quadruple, uh, for as a collaboration with against the grain once and it was usually the mash takes you like eh, tw- it takes 20 minutes to mash in or so and you're like working out the whole time just sweating over hot you know 160 degree water and it's morning and you're stirring this you know a thousand pounds of grain and basically just making a big oatmeal 
And that beer took an hour and a half to mash in because it was, and it filled it to the top because it, it was so much grain. So we did, stirring. we had to, we had to, it was, and it was a shift change. And it was literally like, Hey man, I was supposed to leave here half an hour ago and I'm mashing in your beer. Um, you need to come here and finish this. So one person got, well, we brewed that beer twice back to back to do a double batch of it. And one guy got lucky, the first dude in the morning. It was not me, luckily, and he had the whole entire thing to himself. And, and But we had to switch it up because it, it was such a long brew day because it was such a long mash, and obviously it's step one, basically, and if that gets delayed, everything else does. So anyway, um, yeah, what were we talking about? What was that? Um, <laughs> so James the Giant <laughs> Pellicle. <laughs> so these beers are working. Sure. Um, <laughs> and we've gotten some amazing stories out of Harrison so far just getting through the beer. Uh, believe it or not, we've got some other things we're going to cover. <laughs> That's right. So um, finishing up here, we're talking about American Solera's Endicott Estate Blend uh, Blackberries and Blueberries. This beer also uh, about 400 check-ins on Untapped. So while everybody loves to drink those hard-to-find beers, um, we're also here, Harrison and I both entertaining, mm-hmm. uh, would love to get some beers from the other areas of the world, really. Um, Croatia, you're making some outstanding right. beers, uh, Sweden, Norway, um, Denmark, of course, Germany, yeah. Belgium, we've referenced right. France, Italy. I can't name, I can't think of a country without thinking of at least two or three beers that are made there that right. make me want to visit. Sure. So. Of course, we, we don't we don't fully intend on drinking just amazing beers. We just got really lucky this week, and it brought us some great stories from Harrison. Sure. Oh yeah, and one, I want to make one more comment. I'm trying the whole time. I've been drinking this beer. I've been trying to pick a flavor out of it. I think I'm getting it from just the oak barrels, but there's almost like a like a nutmeg spiciness to this. I was just going to say, as it's warmed up, right. I get almost cinnamon. Yes, in there. exactly. And it's got to be from the wood, but I had it at first. It was like giving me pumpkin beer vibes. And I was like, what are you thinking, you idiot? And I was like, wait <laughs> a second. <laughs> this is aged in wood. That can often impart kind of spice, similar spicy, you know, there's, you know, like spice characteristics, not spicy, but spice characteristics to it. I think that's it. Also, could be the yeast doing magical stuff, but I got that right away. Also, this is amazing mouthfeel. It's like uh, that's a yeah. great thing you get from a naturally carbonated beer too. Is like it's just it just feels different when you drink it. It's much like velvety smooth, and but it's but not not a nitro. It's you know it's just natural carbonation. I man, again, it's a lot of work to make beers like this, but they are really really good in, in a like in a very unique way, a different kind of. Really, really good um, that you don't see every day. So mm. cheers. Yeah. And my God, this beer is a, a different beer in the glass than it was when we first poured it. It's warmed cool? up entirely as I finished my last sip. It's, I know. It has become a beer that I want to drink over a Christmas holiday. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Moving through the beers, of course, if, uh, again, if you've had these, add Harrison and I as a oh, friend yeah. on Untapped right now. That's right. Um, I, I have uh, no friends that have checked into yeah. either of these beers. Same. So um, I hate being, I love being the first one. I'm, <laughs> but share your check-ins with us. Let us know yeah. what you think about them. Uh, let us know what your favorite beers are. That's how we learn about some of these ama- amazing gems here. Um, you're welcome to reach out, tag us, ask us questions. 
Um, look for us on the untapped social media uh, or join the Facebook group. It's Drinking Socially. It's a it's a private group on Facebook. Harrison and I will let you in right mm-hmm. away. Oh, yeah. And there's always some good questions, uh, topics being discussed on there. Most of us just love to talk about beer. Yeah, it's a fun community. It's very active. So get in there. If you got more questions, that's the place for them. Speaking of talking about beer, yeah, um, Harrison's got a uh, a kind of a focused story for us mm-hmm. uh, with some of his history and uh, kind of story of the week that we've been going through here. So, um, Harrison, I'm going to sit back. This is my favorite part of the podcast. I'm going <laughs> to put my feet up. I'm going to listen to more <laughs> stories about beer. But yeah. we're transitioning into yeah. uh, what's a, a great summer beer, yeah, right? Exactly Tell us right. About- I mean, that's what we're going to shift gears hard now and go from wild, spontaneously fermented beer to talk about. The other light beer, uh, the summer beer, the, ace, uh, the beer that I would drink all year, but it's an awesome option for the summer, that being a Kolsch. So um, if you don't know, a quick history about Kolsch, originally from Cologne, Germany. Um, in about 1603, they kind of rebelled against the rest of Germany in a way. There was you know, obviously obsessed with lager style brewing, and they actually made it a law in Cologne that only top fermenting or ale yeast, uh, the opposite of a lager yeast, which is bottom fermenting, um, can be used in their beers. And and the thought was, they don't really know, there's not great documentation about why, other than perhaps hunting for a little more flavor than a traditional kind of crisp and clean lager provided. Quickly, uh, top fermenting yeast are all the ale yeast out there. Um, So your IP, everything, which is most, most, uh, commercially made beers, so like ales, but also stouts, porters, Kolsch. Um, they uh, they're like usually finish fruitier and are when more ester driven, and they ferment a lot faster. And they ferment at warmer temperatures, and the warmer temperature actually you know contributes to them fermenting a little bit faster. So there's a little bit of a yin and yang there. Whereas bottom fermenting um, are for lagers. They they ferment slower uh, and produce much kind of crisp and clean flavors as opposed to the ales and they work better at lower temperatures now cool thing about kolsch's is that they will ferment at ale temps like above 62 degrees but they also uh, work well at lager temperatures a lot of the the kolsch yeast out there and you can lager a kolsch to help just kind of clean it up naturally and that's a big so lager is just german for age to age um, and they would do that to help right clear up the beer make it like literally clear to look through and that it took time for the sediment in particular to kind of just through gravity drop out of the beer and you do that by aging it or lagering it but it's common to lager a kolsch uh today now characteristics from the bjcp which is the beer judge certification panel which is really kind of like the standard what the uh, brewer association uses as well for kind of their standards or there's some crossover there for describing all the styles of beer out there. Appearance of, the, of a coal should be uh, very pale to gold to light gold, very clear, um, and a delicate white head that may not persist, so it can kind of be like a quickly dissipating head aroma-wise. Low to very low malt aroma, kind of like a grainy sweet character, um, perhaps some subtle fruit aroma from the fermentation. Think like apple, cherry, or pear notes. A lot of pear notes in the Colches that I really enjoy, um, but they're not always there. It's not always not, not a requirement. Um, low floral, spicy herbal aroma, 
um, is optional, but you know, not really, uh, not out of style. And then some of these yeasts, and I have this experience, give off like a slightly whiny or sulfury characteristic. And I believe the White Labs yeast kind of puts that, as it ferments, it blows up. It just smells like, you know, like a witch just exploded. It's very, <laughs> very sulfury. Um, of course, we've all been there. Right, but it's all, but it goes away. Like, the, it, you know, it's, it's good to get it out of the beer then and let it, you know, disappear because you don't want to be drinking that really. Um, or I don't prefer it in there. Um, but yeah, overall, you know, kind of fairly... Um, Subtle fruit character, really clean, really fresh, be- uh, fresh beer. And then for the taste, I mean, similar. You know, you're smelling kind of what you're tasting anyway. Some pretty sweetness sometimes, medium to low bitterness, uh, delicate dryness, but also very crisp. On uh, mouth feels medium to medium light bodied, um, and you have high carbonation too, um, which sometimes which adds to it can help sometimes accentuate that fruity hop character if you carbonate stuff more, um, things like that. Um, ones I love, you know, Gaffel Kolsch is obviously like one of the most famous ones. Reichsdorf Kolsch. There are lots of those are from Germany, from the Cologne region, both, I believe. Um, but a lot of great ones made, you know, all over the place. And this is unlike the Lambics, not, you can technically brew a Kolsch anywhere. There is no like law that says you can't call your Kolsch a Kolsch if it's brewed in, you know, Milwaukee. You can, you can do that. Uh, food pairings, which we're going to start doing more for these stories and stuff. Actually, recommend German sausages. Not surprising. Also, bacon and eggs. Yes, so your, this is your kegs and eggs beer. <laughs> it can, it can, it can, it can work just as well. It is really like a lot of the ABVs and these things are around like four or five percent. They're low alcohol. Um, also, recommending shellfish and spicy cheeses. Which again, I, I always find that if it's if you got a really nice clean beer, put something up against it that's a little bit different and spicy. Anything but cheese. Why not? Oh, good way to go. But I, this is kind of like my go-to beer. And any given night, you can look at my check and activity. I usually have like one or two IPAs and then like a gaffle Kolsch or something like that. <laughs> like I'll just cut it up a little bit. Clean, clean right. the, it really clean, does. Give your palate a break. And they just started gaffle Kolsch. This is becoming an ad for gaffle Kolsch. Uh, they just started canning their Kolsch for the first time, which is nice. awesome. Like 16 Easy ounce or accessible. like five, whatever, 500 mil cans. But yeah, they're, and that's just awesome. That is every time what the doctor ordered. So, uh, but yeah, but I love this style. It's a nice alternative. I, it is more flavorful than like a, uh, a lot of lagers. If you're looking for that, very similar to Hellas lagers. So if you like that style too, you'll probably love Kolsch's. Might be maybe slightly lighter in mouthfeel and, Stuff like that, but uh, very similar. But it's just a nice alternative that you can lager, but you also don't need to. You can clear it out, you know, and, and have from brew day to finish in like 16, 21 days, you're home brewing and be good to go. But as it sits in your keg there, it's going to clear up and, and really clear out and crisp up um, over time too. So you're not worrying about the hop character disappearing like you would in a pale ale or IPA. This one, uh, the crispness will remain. It doesn't need to be very hoppy. And this beer, um, I think it, it doesn't, this is a great example of how you can have a, a, a beautiful, accessible, repeatable beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not all the rage. It's not super trendy. It's right. not as exciting yeah. as a wild fermented right. three-year blended right. with, you know, uh, French and American oak barrels. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, those are super exciting beers, sure. but it, one, it's hard to find them to drink them all the time. And I this know. is something that, uh, in, in my background or experience, this would often serve as a great entry-level beer 
you know, instead of recommending sure. a Pilsner, which sometimes mm-hmm. can be too hoppy or too bitter for, yes, for an initial absolutely. drinker. For it, Pilsner sounds easy, but it yeah. isn't. Uh, sometimes it's not. American style Pilsners will knock you, knock you down. A blonde ale. One, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, a Blondale's, I, I think, a, a great entry level or just end of your day beer. Sure. But a Kolsch, I have so many good memories of just explaining to people the lore behind the Kolsch and its creation in Germany. And now it's a style that you'll see American craft brewers oh, yeah. uh, uh, kind of replicating. Mm-hmm. And and you'll see more often than just a, a brewery from Germany where now you oh, yeah. can have your own sort of local Kolsch. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's and, and the flavors that it bring. I think Harrison, you nailed it. The yep. the mouthfeel, the flavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this is something that would pair incredibly well with uh, almost any lunch you could imagine. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah, and they have their own cool glass too. It's just like a straight cylinder glass that they recommend enjoying it in. And this is actually a really big style in like the southeastern U.S. Like the first time I saw it somewhere was in. Uh, outside of Philly was in, in Charleston and like every brewery in Charleston brews one and almost every brewery in the town that we're in in Wilmington brews one as well. That's true. And yeah. you see it, you, it it's just kind of right. And it, and it makes sense because it, again, it offers that the similar flavor profile of a lighter lager that's an approachable beer, but it's not going to take you a month to make. Like when you're looking as a brewery and you got only a certain amount of tank space, you got to move stuff along, but you need a light beer, Boom, Kolsch. Great flagship. And it's right. And it's great down in the southeast US because it's hot, hot at hot a lot of the time. And this is a easy, easier to make beer. I mean, meaning it'll move quickly through your cellar and be ready to package must fashion a lager wood. Um, that's good great on a hot, hot day just to to uh, down quickly. So being at you know the 31st of July and the summer right now, it's uh, you know, we're looking to switch it up a little bit and need a new lawnmower beer. Grab a Kolsch. There are plenty of them in cans out there, um, even the traditional ones now. And uh, yeah, check it out. Give it, give it a shot. It goes well with grass clippings. It smells probably like it's actually the, the- is probably one of the BJCP <laughs> right. uh, aroma acceptable aromas. Right. Grass right. clippings. Grass clippings. So if you're trimming the hedges, just grab a Kolsch and uh, trim away. Um, who? Uh, now I want to get distracted and talk about a uh, brewery in the southeast that makes a beer. St. Arnold makes a beer mm-hmm. out of Texas, yeah. and it's not called Grass Clippings, but my head goes there. Something like that. Um, you're right. Something like probably, that. Probably. Speaking of grass clippings yes, and John. special Kolsch glassware Ooh. Um, and things that uh, you would maybe show off after you're done mowing the lawn. Yeah. Uh, we at the Untapped store have a slew of things which you can purchase for yourself. I don't think we have anything that'll get you through mowing the lawn. Uh, no, we do. Yeah. Harrison, you're wearing one. It's this beautiful untapped hat. Oh, yeah. Of course you have to keep the sun out of your eyes. You want your lawn lines to be incredibly straight. Exactly. It's the pride of the neighborhood. (laughs) Yep, that's right. I take a lot of time with my my lawn lines. The kids know when Harrison puts his untapped hat on, it's time to break out the Kolsch glass. It's time. (laughs) Fill it up. Don't let them drink more right. than one right. or the lines will be crooked. Yep, just leave me alone. If you if you find yourself wanting to mow your own lawn in a really unique and clever way while the sun's out, yeah. or just show off your love of your favorite social media beer app, uh, make sure you head over to store.untapped.com or click the link in the show notes 
find some cool things that you like for yourself, for your friends, oh, yeah. for your next bottle share, for a yeah, housewarming gift, sure. for a baby shower, maybe? Why not? Uh, you, everyone's going to have to mow the lawn at one point in their life. You should feel and look cool <laughs> while you're doing it. And Ugh. save some money. Uh, use the coupon code at checkout. Use the code podcast. Oh, That's going to give you 20% off what? everything you order. That's a pretty decent... Twenty uh, percent off. That yeah. would, I would, I would mow your lawn. Sure, you say it right. You pay the right. The money you save, you pay the kid next door to mow the lawn. You just drink the beer and wear the hat. Well done, Harrison. Now Thanks for thinking. saving me on that. Now you're thinking. Use coupon code <laughs> podcast. Pay the neighbor kid to mow your lawn and enjoy your sweat-free, untapped hat. Um, or check it out. There's some really cool stuff on there. We're actually doing a reshoot of some of the photos uh, to give you a better idea of how beautiful oh, they yeah. can look. That's right. It's been fun. All right. So it's that time again. John's got some cool stories from the Drinking Socially Facebook group. A lot of neat stuff in here this week. John, what do we got? Well, so it's I, I love it. We've gotten, I think every day I'm adding more and more people to the group. Um, I love hearing your stories. One thing we ask uh, when you're joining the group is to share with us your first beer. Um, Hashtag my first beer. We, <laughs> we've gotten some great <laughs> stories um, talking about, I think one time it was optionally sharing a beer um, that, your, that your father shared with you. And another story was actually <laughs> just taking a beer from your father. Sure, a lot um, of those. We've heard stories about warm beers. We don't, uh, I haven't seen any stories come through about my first beer was a New England IPA. I suppose where I'm supposed- 20 years from now, It's going to take some time. Be. Right, was I thought it was juice on the counter, and I'd, I've been drinking beer for years, yes. thinking it was my juice. Not funny, D. <laughs> um, but it's it's great to see uh, people kind of meet in 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 between episodes. Uh, the group's been incredibly active. Harrison and I try and get on there and 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 submit feedback as often as possible. Uh, a couple of my favorites from the last week or so. Um, we've seen, uh, Jamie actually suggesting a story for Harrison to pick up, talk mm. about the origins of the new England IPA scene, referencing Lawson's alchemist, Maine. Scandals. Um, sure. I know Harrison, uh, I know Harrison <laughs> talks about this sometimes <laughs> at random, um, but great feedback, Jamie. Those are we'll get that's there. certainly, yep. I think we'll get there. the, the social media, the Facebook group, we get a lot of ideas about what we're going to talk about on there just seeing what people are talking about in the group yeah um mark i'm going to shout out mark Demsky um because this is amazing mark was posting um he's planning a honeymoon trip with his soon-to-be wife so yeah. congratulations mark congratulations and future mrs Demsky. yeah um they're taking a tour they were going to be stopping in san francisco and uh, mm. hopefully, Mark, you're as lucky as I am that your new wife is going to be excited. You got some great, there are people talking about bottle shops, breweries, places to visit. Um, yeah. And that's one of the things we love to see on the group, you know, share your own love of beer with a stranger, add them on Untapped. Now they're a friend and you sure. guys can make each other jealous across the country <laughs> about beers that uh, you can and can't get. Yep. Um, lastly, a uh, very recent post on there, uh, Jonathan announced his first brewery check-in. His first, yes. this is hard to say without reading it. <laughs> so there is a brewery called The Brewery. Yep. 
and they make some really good beer. And, and Jonathan shared his first brewery check-in. It was a beer called Coconut Macaroons. <laughs> um, I did not prepare Harrison at all for this, but I'm going to say that my pick, if you're hunting oh. for brewery beers now, you should look for one uh, that I would pronounce as horchata. Right. Spelt or X-A-T-A. Right. Um, so depending on how... Uh, Mayan, you want to go? It's uh, I pronounce it as horchata. It tastes like cinnamon toast crunch milk. It's it's amazing. It, my wife picks on me about it. My friends pick on me about it. I don't care. I love that beer. I have cans and a bottle of it. I'm sitting on because it's just it's one of those beers that I go to after a rough day. It's uh, sweet, delicious. The brewery makes. I think sometimes they would have been a good bakery as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, with some of the ingredients they put in their beers. They've had some amazingly high ABVs. Um, Harrison, off the top of your head, uh, your favorite brewery beer or anything that Jonathan should look for next? Well, yeah, the, they don't make it anymore. I just looked it up. I trying to remember what it was called. The Two Turtle Doves. They did like a 12 Days or Years of Christmas series. I guess it was a while ago. It's a Belgian strong dark ale, and it was amazing. That, that whole series... Eight Maze of Milking. Right. Yep. What was the other one? I'm trying to... There, I had a couple out of that series, if not almost all of them, and um, really enjoyed them. And then Autumn Maple that comes out every year is like one of the best ah, that's pumpkin a- beers. That was one that we had almost every year at Thanksgiving. I've had a, a tough time finding the past couple of years, but now that it's back in my mind, maybe I'll be... Uh, maybe I'll remember it in a couple of months and uh, and grab it again cuz i uh, i love a big big old belgian quad or a triple or something crazy for uh, for thanksgiving just to, that's what thanksgiving's to, for right, right? it really is. Yeah. that and, and then i get to and i can watch die hard too right after we get done and <laughs> we really kick off the the holiday season right uh, we hope that you guys will learn harrison's holiday season is is deep seated in uh, weird right, 70s i guess and 80s popular movies, movies sure, yeah. from the old 70s and 80s movies, exactly. high abv beers yep. couches that's right. It's a lot of. That's where I'm the happiest. I'm a belly full of turkey and stuffing, and just yelling with Bruce Willis at the the enemies of freedom, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. All this stuff he's protecting us all the time. Yeah, that's a uh, yeah. But Autumn Maple, that's a great one. Yeah, the orchard. They make white chocolate awesome. too. They don't do. They? Yeah. Now oh, we're gonna. I could talk about them all day. They they and they're a really cool brewery. So I talked to them. Oh, that's the other one. The nine ladies dancing. Oh my god! They did like a Tuesday Hold and a on. Wednesday, yep, and yeah. Yep. Let me remember. There was one more that I had. Oh, the Rugeberg, the, the rye beer. That's really good. Anyway, we go. We're off. But they had. They were a really interesting brewery in that they opened up and were so busy so fast, ran out of beer and had to close for like six months. Because again, we're, we talked about a lot of the beers they make are like big beers, Belgian like barrel aged beers. They're you know, not made in like a couple of days. They ran out of it like hard and had to open, close for like half a year and then reopen up again. And he's like the story that a lot of breweries, as they open up here as a cautionary tale of like, you don't want to, you don't want to be too big, but you don't want to be too small. Cause if you, if you're the place that doesn't have any beer anymore in town, that's a rough racket to get off your your coattails. Now you're just now you're just right. a bar. You're just, right, you're just out of Hopefully. beer. Or you're yeah. lucky, but but they obviously recovered from that, and that was fine. But that is how their kind of their you know brewery story began. Was they were so popular they were they couldn't make beer fast enough, which obviously is a good uh, 
good problem to have. But uh, that's all been sorted out. That's many years ago, and I'm just running through fourth meal. That's another cool one. We should try and grab some of these things, John. And uh, ooh, midnight autumn maple. What is that? There's a, a variation of autumn maple. John, son of a gun. So, Jonathan, thanks so much yes, for your you're uh, right. you're <laughs> sending Harrison and I out to the bottle shop again. Exactly right. Supporting local business from far away. Uh, we, we, speaking of far away, <clears throat> one I just saw, and I got to share this because uh, Ben uh, left a comment on there. He's listening to the podcast out in Australia. Oh, um, He's coming to America soon, and he was asking for some beer recommendations. Honestly, Ben, bring some of the Australian crafts with you because we don't get much of it over yeah. here. Uh, little creatures, right? Ooh, I've heard of, of them. Uh, two birds, I'm familiar with them. Every time mm-hmm. I try and get my hands on any Australian craft, it ends up magically lost in customs. Mm-hmm. There's a customs agent right. who is drinking the good stuff. Probably on a tab. We could probably find him. Yeah. <laughs> DSA guy, 55, we're coming for you. Um, but on my end, um, that's a quick recap on what you're missing out if you're what you're missing out on if you're yeah. not part of the Facebook group. Um, sure. You know, add to uh, the group again. Accepting, we just talk about beer. Uh, great place to ask for advice or ask for uh, new new things uh, that we're doing here. Harrison and I try and put this mm-hmm. together. Um, and honestly, it's for, it's for you guys. We have a lot of fun doing it, sure. but uh, yep. it's, of course, it's great to know that uh, you guys are getting something out of it as well. Yeah, that's wonderful. And a lot of fun putting all this stuff together and hearing from everybody and looking forward to keeping it all rolling, keeping it all going. All right, guys. Well, thanks again for hanging out with us this week. Um, as always, the show notes for more detail will be available at podcast.untapped.com. And if you have any questions or feedback, connect with Untapped on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or directly at facebook.com, with us directly at uh, facebook.com, social. Other than that, guys, we'll see you in two weeks. Cheers. Cheers.